Hey friends, I'm Rav, and this is the Lessie Revolution, a food and climate justice podcast. This podcast is coming to you from Treaty 13 land, the traditional territories of the Wendat, Anishinaabeg, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas of the Credit. I recognize the many nations of Indigenous people who currently live on this land, have spent time here, and the ancestors who have hunted and gathered on this land. I also acknowledge the many people of African descent who are not settlers but whose ancestors were forcibly displaced and made to work on these land. I remain committed to both Indigenous sovereignty and Black liberation as an ally and believe we need both in our food systems and the environmental movement. In this episode, I'm talking to two of my best friends, Rahul, who is an environmental activist in Mississauga, and Leon, who is an artist and animator, and we're going to be talking about two of my favorite things, comics and nature. If you're not into comics, that's totally okay. We explain all the characters, plots, and stories that we'll be talking about. This episode is number two of a three-episode series that explores this topic. If you would like to check out episode one, that's cool. But if you want to jump right into episode two, that is also totally cool. In the last episode, we talked about Wonder Woman, how female characters are portrayed in comics, filmmaking, and having to balance profits and environmental messaging. And we ended with talking about Poison Ivy and the impact female environmental leaders across the world have. In this episode, we'll be talking about what makes a villain and what makes a hero in comics, but also in the general climate movement. We'll talk about how media influences the climate movement. We're going to explore why more movies and comics don't focus on the environment. We're going to talk about representation in movies and the show Smallville and how that show depicted the realities of trying to survive as a small family farm against large agriculture corporations and how it relates to the farmer protests in India. You won't hear this in the recording, but I had just finished talking about a storyline about Poison Ivy where Gotham City is destroyed by an earthquake. Poison Ivy takes over uh, this park in the city and turns it into a natural paradise. She doesn't fight over territory like some of the other characters, and she adopts children who were orphaned from the earthquake and cares for them. After the city recovers, the Gotham City Council wants to kick her out and get rid of this natural nurturing paradise space that she had created. So let's switch back into the conversation. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, you're right. I think with with Poison Ivy, it it's definitely in a way where, especially with Batman comics in general, where they try to an extent when they focus on a particular villain, they humanize that villain beyond I'm just fighting a billionaire who's running around in, you know, military armor. Um, And with Poison Ivy particularly, I think that story was early 2000s, maybe. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the particular book or issue. Um, And seeing that, that transformation of, look, I'm my, I'm not, doing all of these crimes just because I'm doing all these crimes. There are injustices in the world and that needs to be resolved. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that stories when looking at nature and looking at climate change and looking at that, I think a lot of times, especially in Western culture, we are very self-centered among what is in our immediate community 
right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I only see, you know, one problem here. I see crime here. I see this here. But we're not thinking about, like, the the greater scheme of things. And to have a story about a person who is characterized as a villain and essentially saving the world, that, I, it, I'm not sure if, I'm, I can't 100% remember who wrote that. I think it was... I, it was either Greg Pak or Jeff Johns, one of the one of the writers um, that wrote that story. Mm-hmm. But that was pretty much the turning point of seeing um, Poison Ivy as an uh, antihero rather than a villain. Mm. That that was the point when they were just like, oh, maybe this character isn't a bad person. It's just been typecasted as a bad person, which is something that exactly what Rahul was talking about like whether like based on your influence so if we use Batman as a broad example you have a billionaire with that's trying to save the world and by world his city and immediately seeing someone like Poison Ivy and being like you're a villain typecast boom and not actually taking in the motivations I know that um Bruce Tim, Bruce Tim's Batman animated series uh, kind of broke away from that model of villainy and and how they portrayed Poison Ivy and all these different characters and villains, um, but obviously not in the same light as what we're seeing now when you're seeing full blown anti heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're entering the world of pop culture where villainy especially on a on a climate change and nature level um is becoming gray Mm -hmm. right like if if i'm sitting here in canada right now and i hear that some activists blew up a pipeline because and then they went on the news and was like yeah we blew it up because for some reason you can build pipelines through native american communities but you can't build water Mm, yeah blown it pipeline i'd be like you know what you shouldn't blow stuff up but also kind of glad you did (laughs) native americans have no water for decades and all of a sudden they're just like we can't build water lines there it's too expensive it's too expensive also here's an oil line that's going to destroy all your then at my point pessimism or not objectively you're kind of wrong blow the pipeline up yeah yeah (laughs) i i agree with you i think it's just like we as a society i think we need to re-look at and reprioritize what we value and it, it underscores that all of all of these characters uh leaders thinkers heroes or anti-heroes they all have a degree of legitimacy depending on what lens you look at right mm-hmm. like i've seen some videos recently that really there was one really interesting one that highlighted how every dc villain either from their origin story or from their transformation with superpowers or to even post declaration of them being a villain they were doing it from a ethical or good perspective or they came from a place of hardship like if you follow the story of the penguin from when he's a kid Mm -hmm. to where he went he could be portrayed as the good guy and batman could be portrayed as the villain same with batman versus the riddler same Mm -hmm. with dr freeze and his efforts to cool the world right like they all the, the the choice made in how we portray them dictates whether they're a hero or villain not actually who they are. Like Batman could be a crazy supervillain, 
uh, easily, right? And so it's so interesting because, yeah, it's it underscores exactly what Leon's saying, right? Like it's how, the day and age we're in, how the media might portray this group, the words they choose, like the the byline for um, uh, someone considered as a criminal, someone doing something violent, for example, like we we've heard the story, right? White guy kills someone, black guy kills someone. What is the headline and what is the picture used? Right? We know the story. And yeah. it's the exact same thing in these comics and in the environmental movement, right? What what are they gonna say about what just happened? They removed pipeline to protest lack of water, or they destroyed valuable oil infrastructure, hurting Canadians everywhere, right? Like, how are they going to portray this issue, right? Are they going to portray it from their perspective, the legitimate reasons, or from someone else's perspective and their legitimate reasons? So it, it, it's everywhere. And I, I must say, it's quite nice thinking about it. I haven't read a lot of Marvel or DC comics, but they've done a pretty good job, at least if you if you do the research and dig deeper in, giving enough story to these characters so that any of them could be portrayed in a positive or negative light. I think they've done a very good job at that. Like it's 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 to the point now where I think that pre two thousands two thousands and five well really pre nineties but mostly two thousand and five um, you guys were one hundred percent right like this was something that was on the minds of comic books they were writing these stories even though some of them were for children some of them weren't for adults um, they were writing these stories in a perspective that was the gray. Um, I pretty much, like, pretty much since AT&T, Disney, Warner Brothers started taking over these properties, you're starting to see a lot of the loss of that, uh, nuance in character development, especially when it comes to, you know, how, how they react to their environments, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at, like, say the MCU, there's been, what? 16 movies where they were just like whoa these villains are are one note and i'm like well yeah if you look at if you look at age of ultron for example and you have a character that's just like hey you humans are causing more i i literally spent 30 seconds scanning the internet and i determined that humans are the worst like you're blowing the planet up you're poisoning things. Your leader over here, Iron Man, is straight up building weapons of war, whether he wants to believe it or not. Like, humans are the worst, and I'm going to kill all the humans. <laughs> Realistically, yep. if you if you were to take Mother Nature as a, a, a cog, like an actual character and say, hey, look, I've been around for 4.5 million years, and in the past 10,000, you assholes keep poisoning water systems, killing each other, launching radiations, microplastics all over the ocean. You know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm tired of you. You could literally write Age of Ultron from, from the perspective of Mother Nature. Yeah. I spent yeah. 30 seconds looking at what you guys are doing, and I'm sick and tired of it, and I'm wiping you all out. Like, yeah. So are you saying that the... Um... The ownership and the conglom- the agglomeration of these properties, like, are they are they purposely doing this? Because I mean, they do hint at it in the movies, right? But it is a shame. You're right at how brief it is, right? Like, we know that Ultron is capable of having a legitimate perspective, and even Thanos, right? Like, they do hint at, you know, he snapped because overpopulation, 
and and mm-hmm. um, suffering. He wants to reduce that, which obviously, but then they they make it look super awful, right? Like, well, what he's doing is creating more suffering, but it's like, well, you gave us 30 seconds of what could have been a good reason, and then they kind of it gets lost, right? Nobody mm-hmm. remembers that. So yeah. are they are these properties actually they're doing that on purpose? 100%. Absolutely. From a, from a marketing perspective, from 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 looking at if you were to write those stories in the perspective of perhaps our heroes are in the gray. Like maybe they're not 100% right. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're in positions where you know, we have to question the motivations of these good people. Um that is very problematic for your base. You cannot make a movie and question whether the people that you have fallen in love with over how many of these movies and enjoy are wrong. Like from from Disney's perspective, to make a movie that questions the motivations of big corporations and questions the motivations of people that serve those big corporations, especially when it comes to climate change and environment, you would essentially alienate uh, enough money to make that movie become questionably profitable. So, okay. So, so do this for me, rank to me, which would be the the most important reasons why they would do this. So for me, one is um, personal self-interest for the company. Another is they don't think the audience is smart or clever enough and it would, it would alienate the audience too much. And then the third is, um, that it's just um actually i forget what the third is so anyways there's two which was more important <laughs> as um, the third one. i i would say 100 percent is that they they've spent millions of dollars in target market research they spent millions of dollars knowing their base they know that midwest america is the most amount of money that that studio is going to get and they know that in Midwest America, you have agriculture is an absolute huge uh, influx of money in in businesses and farming in general, which means if you start questioning methane and land use and water use to the point where it makes them feel uncomfortable, you lose money in your movies, right? They know that they've done enough research on their target market that they don't care about the ethical implications of the stories they are telling they simply care at the end of the day they make money and if they know that enough 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 people in the states value their land their water their agricultural businesses their dairy farming everything like that individualism your your movie becomes controversial your movie doesn't make money it's not so a, what I wanted to ask to follow up to that is, um, so this was the third point, which is, are they, um, is it like, so they're becoming, this is kind of tying to the characters. They're, they're basically, in, in metaphorically speaking, the, the, the storylines are becoming more partisan, strict villains, strict heroes, right? Yeah. That, that's happening more. And so is that a reflection of the companies wanting to create these clear black and white um, and then that creating more partisan divides in society or society becoming more divided and that influencing the companies? Um, I would say it's about the companies can easily influence people, but it's more so about we're seeing on a, on a general scale more focus on individualism the more that we have globalism in the world. 
the more that people are understanding the problems in the world, the more that they're like, oh no, that could affect me. I need to focus on my own, my own situation. So, so it's a positive yeah. feedback. Uh, kind of. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at if you look at say the coronavirus and how that affected people losing their jobs, now you're gonna have a whole bunch of farmers being like, yeah, you know what? Those people were in risk. It could happen to me. I need to hoard as much as I can to insulate myself from all of the problems that could happen. And by insulating themselves, they're essentially causing more problems. And then you have multi-billion dollar companies be like, oh, well, we still want that guy to watch our movies. So we need to have a clear black and white, you know, depiction of these characters. Mm. Right. Um, without without giving any spoilers for Wonder Woman, you have an actress, Gal Gadot, who legit fought in the IDF and trained in the IDF and flies over to Egypt for no reason whatsoever to fight and then goes back to America 24 hours in the timeline of the movie. Like, there, marketing-wise, there is a, a visual reason that you had an Israeli person fight in an Arabic country and come back with no actual leading to the story because they know that people watching this movie have ingrained ideas about the what they who they are seeing on screen and what that character on screen is doing so when i look at like the character's depiction of conflicts that are happening especially when it was around oil because it was the 80s um when you look at like the, the character doing that you don't have to think okay marketing wise somebody in a room said there's a reason that this person is fighting in egypt because story-wise, there is no point. And, and with the millions of dollars that goes towards that, there's no way that was an accident. So when you look at that on a grand scheme of something like environmentalism, and you have every, every major superhero movie has at least one billionaire or one tech genius on their team, like having them be like, oh, I'm gonna go fight in these countries um, and not actually taking the consequences of what's happening. The only movie to do that was Iron Man 1, because that was the origin of Iron Man, which actually happened earlier in the 19th, or so, 19th century. Now you look at a movie like Wonder Woman, which follows up a huge success, even though that movie had some issues too, certainly nothing compared to the current one. How, how does that square with the logic and the goals of, of, of Disney and these other big corporations? Because it's, it's been a failure, this new movie, even in, in sales and, and reviews, like across the board. So how does that square with their desire to kind of appease the audience and, and, and fulfill their own personal de desires for success? Because it was a, it was a reaction to Black Panther. Wonder so, Woman 2 was in production for two years, and they saw what Black Panther did to the Black community in the States, and they said, we have a recognizable female-led superhero movie. We can do the same thing that Black Panther did. For, for women. women? For women. And because of that mentality of marketing and how that movie was being produced, it led to a whole bunch of problems deeper into the actual story. Because now, well, we've, like looking at Wonder Woman's influence in like 
history and the world and the last 80 years of being a, a pro proliferant character. How did that movie get to that point? Like it was, it was a straight reaction to, holy crap, Black Panther, Black Lives Matter, this is happening. Now <laughs> wow. we have also the Me Too movement. We have all this stuff happening. Mm -hmm. We need to make so, a movie that that rivals that kind of marketing publicity. So they tried to marry success with appeasement and trends and just they thought they had the secret sauce when it just blew up in their face. Yeah, it's the difference between Tolkienism and representation. Right, because Black Panther didn't intend on being some sort of spectacular like it, it was very genuine where it came from. Uh, sort of. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in terms of the audience, sure, like we know the representation was, was was there from the start, but like the way from what I read about the director, how he developed the story, um, uh, is it Ryan Coogler? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they that was coming from a place of not following public trends or desires. I mean, even if there were issues with the story. Yeah, I think I think that the intention of Black Panther was to tell a story that relates to people on a deeper level. And then I yeah. think that the marketing team got a hold of it and was like, let's release the trailer about a week after Eric Gardner. Uh, marketing wise, 100% planned. <laughs> like, Gosh, like, so devious. Um, like, almost like when the corporation comes, rears, but rears its ugly head. Yeah, so I think, I think the intent of Black Panther was to tell a story that relates to a certain community. And I think the intent of Wonder Woman was to make money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's right. Funny. And and when it when it comes back to you know a world of environment and a world of looking at climate change, there is definitely always going to be more intent on making money, with the exception of like an inconvenient truth or whatever. The intent is going to be making money rather than actually telling a compelling story around a real world issue mm. right i think that that is that is the problem that i'm seeing with with anything revolving around nature around farming around um general awareness of that the world is on fire <laughs> is that and i mean you're referring to still within the realm of large corporate blockbusters right like i mean documentaries still have merit and and yes. and i think they, they ironically they do better in quality and message the less successful they are <laughs> yeah because the intent the intent is no when you're making a documentary very rarely no one makes an documentary for money who exactly. does that that's ridiculous. Because they you never make one. <laughs> right? You make a documentary for the intent of, uh, of of telling a message, right? And every, like, you can't, I don't think you can make a documentary with the intent of making money. Like, that 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 would defeat the purpose well, of a documentary. I guess the, the, new, the new version of that is, like, BBC's Planet Earth and, like, David Attenborough's stuff, which is both. Have you heard what he says in that documentary? He half the time he talks about animals dying and it's our fault. <laughs> and you know that in this scenario, there are only a few of these penguins left on the <laughs> And that's my point, right? 25 very... years, they will all be exempt due 
to human intervention. Like, you can't they make a documentary. It's like, it's about money. And he's literally saying, this is all your fault. This is the last one we're going to do because you're going to kill all the animals. Like, mm-hmm. his intent is literally straight up telling people it's their fault. <laughs> but it's also been super successful. Yeah. I think, that's the thing, whether something is successful and whether its intent is to make money are two different things. Right. So I guess what I'm saying is, if the formula can be done the other way around, where you can create quality and be successful, then why aren't more people doing that? Because it's risky. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, money-wise, it's risky because you're you're now telling a story or or talking about issues that you can either do all the research, all the target market research, know exactly what your viewers want, and build a story around that and maybe force yourself to get 80, like an 80% chance of success versus telling a story about something that is important and knowing that there's a good chance that your target market might not be on the same page you as. The, the risk, the risk of, of talking about climate change outside of doing that target market research is incredibly high. And right, and I guess... Your audience is much smaller at the beginning, at least due to the lack of sensationalism. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at something like social media, right? Like you can you can look at people talking about all of the problems, for example, with the Indian farmers and seeing how that's such a huge issue on the world stage. And the intent is this is an issue you all need to know about. This is an issue you need to care about. This is an issue that is, is not just within India, but realistically in North America. Mm-hmm. And I mean this in the most sensitive way possible. In a Western North American culture, no one cares because target marketing wise, it doesn't it doesn't reach them. It doesn't speak to them. It's not something that a Western market and a Western media is primed to care about. And yes, the issue needs to be addressed. But unless that issue is wrapped in a way where the target market and the intended target market in a particular part of the world is primed for, then they're not going to watch it. Right. I think there's like a lot of especially with the protests in India, the farmers, I think there's a lot of, like you said, parallels that exist to like what the situation is in Canada with farmers and migrant workers and land use and land degradation and corporatization and all this stuff. And I think, yeah, I think there's like ways that or we have to like frame it in a way, I guess, that makes it more relatable for people here. Um, but I want to bring it back to comics because that reminded me of how in Smallville, which is a great show that everyone should watch. Uh, the first five uh, seasons. Watch the first five seasons. And, and, and then... It's so good. It's no. so good. Anyway, so Smallville is a show about Superman, um, like before he was Superman. So when he was in high school and like. I guess his journey to becoming Superman. But in Smallville, um, we still have Lex Luthor, who's the, like, big villain in Superman. But he's not – it's also like he's not fully Lex Luthor yet. So 
the company is not LexCorp, it's uh, LutherCorp, I think. And they specialize in like pesticides, fertilizers, and different like agriculture products. And they moved to the small town called Smallville in, I think it's Kansas. Yes. Is it Kansas, Leon? It's Kansas. Kansas, um, which is just like full of really small family farms. And there's always like this underlying tension between Luther Court and the far- Kent farm. Or, and, and even just the characters like Lionel Luther and Lex Luther and Jonathan Kent, because it's this whole idea, I think, of what is behind the protests happening in India and the corporatization of farming and agriculture and the struggle between or, or the struggle of these small family farms who are and small scale farms who are just trying to survive and stay afloat. But there's like these really big entities that come in that are trying to, I mean, take them over, really. India needs a Superman story. Pretty much. <laughs> India is in, in the same position that America was in and which was dramatized in Smallville and dramatized in the the relationship between corporations and farms and what that means on the greater scale of things. And obviously in Smallville, the outside of the villain of the week, Superman problems, you have a singular character that has relationships with Luther Corp because he's he's really good friends with Lex and and it's a whole world that they're trying to balance out and the relationship with his family farm and being like we need to, like he was he was the central pillar in mm-hmm. these two rival ideas and in in Smallville it's obviously showing the evolution of that relationship which is why I say I only watched season five because uh, <laughs> everything after that just goes out the window but the underlying the underlying truth about it was that there needs to be a, a central figure that has a balance between what what farming and what agricultural world and what essentially small towns mean to large cities and what is the, the what is the 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 pillar between the, the thing that brings both those things together in this case superman um being of both the city and the farm life and of course all of the crap that goes along with being superman um which is weird because when you look at at that world i think it got away mainly because of the whiteness of superman Okay, friends, we're going to put this conversation about comics and nature on hold for now. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you would like to stay connected with Leon, you can find him on Instagram at leo.geo.john. He posts his art, animation, and projects he's working on there. One of his current projects is a Afrofuturism story that focuses on the relationship between Black people and nature. For updates on that project, you can check out his IG page. He also hosts a podcast with some friends called Plot Mechanics that explores and analyzes movies. You can listen to the Plot Mechanics podcast wherever podcasts can be found. 
If you would like to connect with Rahul, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Opportune City. He's working on an amazing project right now called Winter Seeking that is educating our community about winter, our changing seasons, and the intersections with climate change. For that specific project, you can check out Winter Seeking on Instagram. And as always, if you liked what you heard, hit that subscribe or follow button and you can stay connected with me, your host, Rav, on Instagram at shadeofmitti or check out my website, shadeofmitti.ca. Thanks for listening.